Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and fill these words with your life, that we who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we who hunger and thirst for fullness of life might be fed deep in our souls. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our second part in our short three-part series on God and money, the relationship between money and our lives, the relationship between money and the way of Jesus. The word we often use in the church to describe this relationship is stewardship. The idea here is we don't ultimately own anything in our lives, not ultimately. All things ultimately belong to God because God is the source of all life and the giver of good things. So we don't ultimately own anything in our lives. Everything belongs to God. So we are stewards of these things. From the natural resources of the earth to human resources employed in office buildings and factories. And yes, even our financial resources. What we learned in the first part of our sermon last week is that God is the ground of all being, God is the source of all things, and God's character is infinitely generous. So in the act of giving, in the act of giving away, we're actually giving what belongs to God back to God to be given away again. And in doing so, we come to know God more deeply, and God uses these things to make us more like Jesus. That was part one. And this is part two. Back in a previous congregation I served, we were discussing doing a stewardship campaign, encouraging people to take up the spiritual discipline of generosity. And everybody at the church council, the church board, thought it was a great and worthy idea. But one member urged extreme caution. We have to make sure this is done as lightly, as carefully, and as gently as possible, she said. Money is one of those topics that makes people nervous. Talking about giving, she said, might offend somebody. I personally have even heard someone say that talk about money at church doesn't belong because it's a worldly thing and not a spiritual topic. Spirituality belongs in church, and worldliness does not belong in church. So talking about stewardship, how we use our money and what we use it for, can make us a little bit nervous, to say the least. So you've got to take it slow. You've got to gently ease people into it. For us, talking about money is like walking on eggshells. We've got to be careful, but in like in so many other places in the Bible, Jesus completely ignores our preferences. I hate that about Jesus, don't you? According to today's passage, Jesus' preference is less about tiptoeing over and around our eggshells. His strategy seems to just to stomp them into oblivion. He begins today's scripture passage with a hard saying. There's nothing gentle about how Jesus handles 
money here. He doesn't mince words. No one, he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one master and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other one. You can't serve God and wealth, Jesus says. I can't believe that we recruited Jesus for the stewardship campaign. Jesus sets these two things in direct opposition. Your loyalty belongs to money, Jesus says, making it, accumulating it, spending it, or your loyalty belongs to God. It can be one, it can be the other, but it can't be both. As Bob Dylan, that great saint of the church, <laughs> Bob Dylan said, once said, you've got to serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. Now we probably don't think of ourselves as serving money per se. We make money, we have money, we spend money, we give money, and we probably also owe money. But we don't serve it. We're children of the modern world. Generally we see servitude as something we can get out from under. We see freedom as being free to serve no one but ourselves. But in the way of thinking of the Bible, everyone serves someone or something. Slaves serve masters, masters serve kings, and kings serve the gods. Nobody can get out of service, except for the gods themselves, I guess. It's not a matter of whether you're a servant or not, it's a matter of who you serve or what you serve. And Jesus is telling us that money can command the same allegiance the same divine draw and attraction and the same commitment that religious devotion can, that God can. And what we devote our lives to has an impact on how we live them. The outcome of our experiences as well. In churches, many churches, the deepest conflicts seem to come, seem to emerge out of how money spent. Money, too much or usually too little, is the main source of tension in a lot of families. It can strain the relationship between spouses and even end up breaking families apart. Some of us have done things for money that we've lived to regret, whether rich or poor. So Jesus is right. Money has a kind of power to it, a holy power all of its own. Like a magnetic force, it can draw us to itself, drawing us away from the things and the people who matter most in our lives. In the Bible, we would call that an idol, a false god, because the promises of wealth are usually the same ones made about faith, you'll notice. That in obtaining wealth and all the things that come with it, status, stuff, security, one day we'll feel authentically happy, finally, satisfied, you know, we could change that song to, thank you, money, for giving us joy. Thank you, money, for giving us joy. But deep down inside, we wouldn't really mean it, because that's not the way it works. No matter how much we have, it's rarely enough. So Jesus is right. Money has power all of its own, a religious power to it. 
So as much as we'd like to think otherwise, as much as we'd like to think of ourselves in, as in control, more often than not, we don't control money. Money controls us. So according to Jesus, the topic is worth examining, worth talking about plenty, because we'd probably be foolish if downright right irresponsible not to do so. Because money is hugely powerful, so alluring, so seductive, that it is the power to draw us away from God and the lives God wants for us. Now, we live in a world that even more so than Jesus' world runs on money. Money is completely unavoidable. We can't even really run off the grid to the Kootenays or to Cortez Island anymore because there's no place in our globalized world that money can't touch, even those places. We have to make money to survive, whether we like it or not, or receive a pension that involves money, or somebody else pays for the food that we eat. It's all interconnected. It's just a fact of life. So for us, the choice isn't how to avoid money altogether, but for us, in a world where money is so prevalent, the question Jesus asks us is about what we put first in our lives. What we put first in our lives. Remember, the question isn't about serving or not serving. The question is about who or what we're serving with what we do and what we have. The question is about priority. It's about what comes first in our lives. What's at the center? What drives it? What are we trying to obtain? What are we trying to get? What are we trying to live into? That's what comes first. After warning the disciples that they can't serve God and wealth, Jesus speaks of the birds of the air. They neither sow nor they reap, do they reap. And the lilies of the field, they neither toil nor they spin. Unlike humans, they stress little over how they're going to make a living. Yet even without worry, their lives are provided for them by God. Now, I don't think Jesus is suggesting we simply lay back, we'll lay back and wait for life to flow to us. We've got to work, we've got to eat, we've got to take care of each other and our families, but he's saying that some things are first in the order of importance. Namely, God, God's way, God's kingdom, God's life for us. That's what's supposed to come first. And when we put secondary things first, like money, that's when we get tripped up. When we put things that aren't God, like money, at the center of our lives and let them dictate our decisions. That's when things get twisted. That's when people get hurt. That's when we experience spiritual death, Jesus tells us. Therefore, Jesus says, do not worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. Questions like this shouldn't run our lives. They shouldn't be the first questions. Instead, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That was the, same, that was the King James translation. That's not the one that we heard, but I love that, though. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and God's righteousness and all these things will come to you as well. If we begin by asking ourselves what God's will is and what God's way for our lives is first, when we start with the kingdom, the way the world would be if God were in charge, the way the world God desires and is actively moving us towards, if we do this, then Jesus says our fears of not having enough, our fears of not being enough, our almost religious desire for more, all these things will be put behind us. 
they'll be put in their place rather than the other way around. And this is why we as a community of faith are putting such an emphasis on giving. It's why our new mission statement includes the word invest. Because when we set aside a portion of our givings first before anything else, when we set aside our wealth and the things we have first as a practice of generosity, in doing so, we're actually setting the direction of our lives. We're redirecting our hearts. We're redirecting our lives away from the service of money and other things to the service of God and God's kingdom. And when we do that, we believe that God will use our giving to break the power of money in our lives and heal its destructive wounds. In giving, we're trusting Jesus, we're putting first things first. We're trusting him with our future. That in following in the footsteps he's laid out for us, we're on the path to abundant fullness of life. Trust me with everything Jesus says, even your bank account, and fullness of life will follow. Fullness of life will follow. If you put first things first, seek first the kingdom, and everything else will fall into place behind that. So money may be a difficult topic for us to bring up, one where we might be tempted to avoid it at all costs, but Jesus shows us just how essential it is to break the silence. When Jesus tells us we can't serve God and money, he's exposing our misplaced priorities. He's showing us what we truly worship, what we truly serve, and we truly follow. He's showing us what really drives our lives. And if you're like me, it drives you crazy. You wish he wouldn't do things like that. But he's also breaking our chains and correcting our vision, setting us on the right path. Fullness of life won't come from the pursuit of wealth, Jesus says. Whether it's money or stuff or even security, no fullness of life. Eternal life, life that never runs out, life as it always was meant to be, will only be found in seeking God's will first in our lives. In trusting God's way for us. This is Jesus' invitation to start putting first things first, including wealth. Because Jesus puts everything, including money, in its place. So God can use it and use us for God's great, for our great good and God's greater glory, as the old phrase goes. Full, abundant life for us and the world God loves. Putting first things first. So friends, have faith. Don't begin your life with questions about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear, or what you'll drive. These are important things. But they're not what comes first. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Put first things first. And when you do that, everything else you need will follow by the grace of God. And for this, thanks be to God. Amen.